goal of this podcast is to help you break in and thrive in advertising. Today, we're joined by James Herman, the highly decorated strategic leader, author of Future Demand, The Case for Creativity, and his column with Wark, F-Bomb. He's also the co-author of Wark's Advertising Effectiveness Code with Peter Field. He's the founder and co-founder of Previously Unavailable, Tracksuit, AF Drinks, and more. He's the program director of his Masters of Advertising Effectiveness, and outside of his many accolades and titles, he's incredibly kind. He's full of insight, and the work he's doing is shaping the landscape of advertising as we know it. If I'd heard this conversation prior to breaking into the business, it would have saved me countless hours of research and experience. So be sure to tune into my conversation with James about effectiveness, the roles and styles of different agencies, and some ways to use his findings to get ahead of the curve. Now onto the show, and I'm your host, Cooper Coleman. Kick it, Mikey. James, it's uh, it's a pleasure to have you on, and I uh, appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, my pleasure. It's great to be with you. With with everyone who we have on, we we like to start with their uh, their break and entering story. Um, so, how about you start us off there? Yeah, sure. It's um, like a lot of people, I think, in in planning, it's um, it's quite an interesting kind of non-linear not where you, it's, you kind of expect story. So, um, so I dropped out of high school and I, and I never went to university and I ended up just going into the workforce and, uh, and, and I just sort of by accident ended up fixing computers because the IT manager where I was working needed an assistant, but didn't have money to pay anyone with any like skills or experience or talent. Um, and so I got the job and. Um, and so I learned how to be an IT person and I, I did that for the first seven years of my working life. I fixed computers and then, you know, installed antivirus updates and plugged in ethernet cables and all that kind of jazz. And when I was about, about three years into that, I got, a I got a job just as like short IT contract at, um, at gray in London. And it was the first time. Um, that I'd ever even heard of an ad agency. Um, and I, I'd sort of obviously led quite a sheltered life in New Zealand and didn't even know what an ad agency was. But anyway, I showed up there and it was like this amazing place, right? Cause they'd just redone the, um, like done the fit out at great, at gray and great Portland street in London, this big, beautiful, amazing sort of office with all of these like incredible characters that appeared to me like they were kind of like, you know, characters of TV shows and, you know, it's just extremely good looking people everywhere and extremely expensive furniture everywhere. And it just seemed like such a crazy place. I just remember being completely buzzed out by it. Um, but anyway, my contract ended and I, and I went back to kind of working in various other places, fixing the computers. And then I came back to New Zealand and um, and this was about 2000. Um, and there was, I was working in an IT job, like a really, really boring job that I absolutely hated. Um, and you know, we're lucky in advertising because most of us get to do something that we actually quite like, um, for, uh, for a job. And, 
And, you know, having been through my first career, like it's not like that for lots of people, right? You really do have like a job that you just kind of don't really like going to, and it just pays the bills and allows you to do what you want to do at the weekends. Um, so anyway, I was, I was in one of those jobs and this ad agency in Auckland called, um, Generator. They were part of the Bates network in, in New Zealand. And I got this call from a recruiter who said, there's this ad agency, they're looking for an IT person. They've interviewed 50 people. And, uh, and they haven't found anyone who's kind of anywhere near the right cultural fit for the agency. And they saw that you once did a contract at an ad agency. Uh, and so they thought maybe you would be, uh, you know, the right person. So now I went into the interview and, and yes, I was the right person. And so I got the job as the IT manager in this, um, agency in Auckland. And again, it was kind of a very, you know, an, an amazing place full of amazing people doing awesome creative stuff. And it was pretty quick, quickly that I realized that what they were doing was way more interesting than what I was doing. Um, and, and so I kind of, I guess, you know, one of the benefits of being the IT manager is you get to kind of, you get to hang out with everyone. Um, and, um, cause you've always got, you know, everyone's got a computer problem at some point. So anyway, I kind of hang out with everyone, made friends with, um, the people in the creative department and, and we just started sort of ha hanging out and I kind of, you know, got really interested in what they were doing. And, and before awesome. long, we decided we'd do, um, some kind of like projects, um, together outside of the agency. And so we created the brand for a really cool bar in Auckland, um, and rebranded, um, a, a, a modeling agency, um, in Auckland. And we just did these kind of little jobs that we uh, kind of, you know, they did the creative stuff and I, I was sort of like, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing, to be honest. I was just kind of showing up and doing what came naturally and sort of trying to figure out what these brands should sort of be about. And it turns out I was doing strategy, but I had no idea what I was doing. I was just kind of, just, just, just kind of hanging out really. And, um, and then anyway, so, so, um, the, at the after sort of shortly after all of that was happening or around the same time the agency did they had the the Bates network in in Australasia did this thing called the Cordiant Scholarship which was this program where they they sent out a brief to all of the young people in the agencies and it was their way of sort of unearthing kind of the the next generation of of talent so they'd send out a brief to everyone and if you wanted you could kind of enter this program and you could answer the brief with a you know, it's a creative solution or a strategic solution or a media solution or whatever it was that you wanted to ask the brief with. And, um, and then each office would have like, you know, a little competition and pick a winner and then all of the offices would come together. And so I entered in New Zealand and, um, and came up with a, uh, um, an answer to a brief about selling a, um, I think it was like a small Hyundai car. Um, and, and I won. And they had, the, I remember the day that the CEO announced who our agency was sending to Australia to compete against the Australians. And, and, and obviously he was kind of just completely bemused and perplexed that he was sending the IT guy from his office to go and compete against the creatives and suits and planners in, in Australia. And so they sent me over to Australia and, um, and I competed against a whole bunch of other people. I didn't come first, but I came a really close second. And the Australians were just so buzzed out that the, you know, the New Zealand office had sent their IT person and, um, and really liked what I pitched. And so at the end of that meeting, at the end of my pitch presentation, the, um, one of the judges who was quite a senior person at, um, 
at uh, an agency called George Patterson Bates in, in Australia. Um, he said, I think you'd make a good planner. And I had no idea what a planner was. Um, and, um, and so I said, yes, I'd like to do that, please. And, and so they invited me back to Australia to spend two weeks in their planning department in, in Aussie, um, just kind of hanging out with them and figuring out what they did and, and sort of mucking in and all that kind of stuff. And then I came back to New Zealand, you know, pretty determined to kind of do that job. And so the agency that I was with at the time working in IT was kind of, it, it was going through a pretty hard time. And so they didn't have, they were sort of, um, yeah, they were retrenching people. So there was no job for me there, but I made an ad for myself and I sent it around all the heads of planning in, um, in, in Auckland and got interviews with three of them. And one of them took a chance on me. And, um, and, and that's how I started as a planner in an agency called Publicist Mojo, um, uh, in, in Auckland. Um, and then from there, yeah, I just kind of like, I remember the first few, you know, the first few months just feeling like I can't believe someone's paying me to, to have this much fun. Um, and so I just absolutely loved it. And, um, and I think when you kind of love what you do, you know, you, you tend to, it's easier to become good at it. Um, so that was, yeah, that was my start. That's incredible. It, it's definitely, it gets similar at the end for, for most folks, at least those that I've talked to where, uh, once you get there and, and you've kind of gotten in to some point that, uh, infectious like feel and, and love for what you do every day, um, kind of drive, drives it home. And you, you realize that that was really what you ended up wanting to do. And obviously that's not how it's going to be for for everyone, but um, it is really interesting that you kind of went through a, a, a building project through like a pitch program um, at an agency early on. We're doing something similar uh, with breaking and entering the Crowbar Awards um, for you know aspiring uh, advertisers and marketers who are uh, three years and, and under to kind of do the same thing, where we'll partner with agencies and in-house brands to kind of give them a shot and get them on the radar in uh, ways that you know they probably wouldn't. Um, kind of going through that process and, you know, you kind of get to becoming a planner, um, feel like you even mentioned earlier on the side, you didn't really know what you were doing, but it was planning. Did that change at all? Right. When you first were a, a planner with the title? Um, well, I probably understood a little bit more about what I was doing or at least, yeah, had some some idea of, of um, uh, or some more framework, I guess, around sort of what I was doing. But um, I mean, fundamentally, it didn't change. I think it's kind of like, you know, strategies, uh, you know, it's both complex and, and relatively simple. I mean, for me, it's the, you know, what you really need to do as a, as a planner is you're trying to understand what sort of either kind of perception shift or behavioral shift that is most going to drive growth or, you know, commercial, um, impacts for a client. Um, and so it's just all about sort of understanding people and thinking about them and observing them and, you know, figuring out why they do the things that they do and, um, and turning that into some kind of inspiration for creative people. Um, and so I think that's what I was doing you know, completely unwittingly right at the start. Um, and that just kind of, 
you know, I guess kind of planning is just, it's just how my brain works naturally. So I didn't need to be sort of taught to do that. I, it just came, it just seemed logical that that's what you would do, um, to me. Um, and then obviously, um, obviously I learned a great deal from that point on how to do that really well. Um, and so, yeah, when I started out, just like anyone in their careers, I guess, you know, I'd look back, if I look back on the things that I did right at the start, some of it was, you know, truly horrifying. Um, <laughs> it would have been pretty bad, but, um, but also, um, yeah, you kind of got to do that. You got to get through the, you got to, you got to really fuck it up a few times to, to become really good at it. Yeah. If you're, if you're testing and learning, it's kind of the, the model you kind of have to go through, um, and battle through those different parts as a, a planner early on in your career. Um, and then, you know, over time at, at Publicis Mojo, I know you started winning Effie. So you got, you got the, uh, um, the formula down, um, at some point and, and knowing that you're a, a massive, uh, champion of effectiveness, you kind of mentioned getting to a point where, you know, you were doing what you're doing very well as a planner there. Um, and, uh, to my perception and, and others I've spoken to in the industry, doing well in a planning role can look very different, um, at different types of shops, whether it's performance or, you know, bottom funnel or, or brand marketing. Um, how do you define doing that job well? Um, and then we can kind of dive into effectiveness from there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the thing that I guess I always really focused on as a planner was that, you know, it's, it's a real team sport, um, advertising. So it's, it's really hard to make advertising all by yourself. You know, you, you, you've got to have, you know, you've got to have creative people and you've got to have production people and you've got to have account management people and you've got to have a client and you, you know, you've got to have all of that kind of going at once. And, and so I would think about planning in relation to those other functions. Um, and, and specifically because I'm, you know, I'm definitely, it's probably like a creative spectrum of planning where, you know, there are planners that are really like, you know, close to the creative department and close to the creative process and others that are a bit further away from that. And I'm definitely sort of at that very creative end. And so, so I think a lot about my relationship with the creative people, um, because, you know, in, in my experience, a strategy is only a, a great strategy if it can be executed um, brilliantly from a creative point of view. So, you know, the best PowerPoint and the best kind of, you know, the, the best insight or the strategy that the client's so excited about and the best brief in the world and, and kind of average work, like that's a fail, right? It doesn't matter how good the strategy was, Zach Neiman. Um, and, and so I saw my role as being, you know, absolutely about the sort of classics of strategy. So understanding the business problem, understanding the consumer, finding an insight, getting, you know, getting, getting a really clear plan for how we were going to achieve the objective that, that, that we'd set, but, but doing that and, and also doing that in a way that sets up a creative team for success and, and inspires them and makes them feel excited about the work that they've got to do. Um, I, you know, I was always, I guess, very determined to get both of those things right. 
as often as possible. Um, and I think, you know, that's how you get to work, which is, you know, how you do really consistently effective work is if you can kind of get that, you know, not just sort of planned strategy, but do it in a way that inspires fantastic creative work. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's a lot of what you write and the case for creativity and how being able to bring great creative work to uh, attack a, a major business problem in a way that proves to to have results. Um, pushing that business forward, I think, is always the goal and what the C-suite cares about at, at the end of the day. Um, the reality yeah. for a lot of, of marketers and early marketers in their career are aspiring to get into the industry as a whole, they don't end up at a lot of these, these huge shops like a Publicis Mojo or a Publicis anything um, for that matter. Um, and in a lot of the work uh, you do, you talk about 95.5, future demand, current demand, um, creativity linked to effectiveness. Um, how can future advertisers and marketers apply, you know, these theories while working on small to medium sized businesses, um, or groups where, you know, it, the effectiveness might not be as large or have as many eyes on it. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think uh, most of the principles are kind of scalable downwards to, to a, to a certain extent. So, so this is a question like we in the effectiveness research world get asked a lot, right? Does this, you know, all of the data tends to be for big brands, um, and, and mature brands and there's not much around for kind of smaller businesses, early stage businesses. And so do the rules apply. Um, and certainly from what, uh, you know, in, in my experience working with businesses right from, you know, super early stage startups, um, right through to, you know, big mature corporates. Um, and a lot of the foundations, are, are definitely the same. So it's definitely true that in any market, there are, uh, two types of demand and one is what I call existing demand, which is people who are ready to buy right now. And the other is future demand, which are people who will come into the category at some point, uh, but they're not ready to just yet. And, um, and that's true of, uh, you know, that's true of Coca-Cola that's true of the tiniest startup. Um, where it differs slightly for, you know, a startup or a, or a very small business is, is when you are in your very early stages, there's sort of a pool of exist, what I call existing demand, which are people out there who have the problem that you're solving and no one's come along and solved it before. So there's value in, in actually, um, in actually working pretty hard to, to get those customers in the early days. So that's not about sort of talking to the ones that will come into the category later. It's not about future demand. Um, it is about just kind of harvesting the demand that's out there at the moment. Um, and so that's really, you know, that's, that's a little bit different. You might, your mix might be a little bit tilted towards short-term kind of more performance marketing in those very early stages, but then you pretty soon get out of those, like in your first two to three years. And that's when it's kind of becomes very important to have a relationship with all of the people who are going to come into the category at some point in the next few months or a couple of years, because you want them when they do to kind of gravitate towards your brand. So a principle like that, it's, it's kind of, it's, 
it's scalable down to very small, very early, early stage businesses, but the kind of the ratio, the mix might sort of change a little along the way. Um, but yeah, generally the kind of the key principles, like you need to be spending enough to grow. I mean, that's as true of small brands as it is of big brands. You know, if you want to grow in your category, you need to be spending an adequate amount of money, um, above your kind of the share, the share of market in terms of your share of voice. That's the same for small brands as it is for big brands. Um, the, the sort of targeting principles, like it's more important to look at the, to try and drive penetration with marketing than it is to try to drive loyalty. Um, marketing is uh, advertising is very good at, um, at creating penetration increases. Um, it's not very good at, uh, at increasing, you know, improving loyalty metrics. And so that would, that's the same in kind of smaller businesses. Um, some businesses, it's a little bit different. Um, like if you, we've, we've been working a bit in the meal kit delivery, um, industry lately. And, and that's a kind of really interesting business that doesn't quite follow those same rules. Um, their top 20% of their customers are kind of do make up 80 or 90% of their, um, their sales, which is, which isn't typically true of larger businesses. And so, so the rules are slightly different there. So, so yeah, what am I trying to say that the, a lot of the effect of this principles are, you know, are just the same for smaller businesses. It's just sort of scaling those down and, and doing, um, yes, getting those down to, to the amount of money or the amount of resource that you've got. I, I know at least in the U S, um, a lot of, uh, schools and, and aspiring marketers, you know, getting their marketing degree or, you know, going to a, a portfolio school. Um, a lot of what's taught is tactic based marketing or, or advertising mm. where we're not necessarily looking out the gate at spend mix or, or duration as kind of the keys to, to effectiveness here. And then using the different principles that you've, you've kind of mapped out, um, you kind of come out of that, that schooling system and you end up at an agency where, as you mentioned, you don't want to just be planning for, for pure creativity. You want to be working towards a, a business goal or, or outcome at the end of the day, um, as a, an entry level advertiser or, or marketer planner coming into the industry, what's a way or, or some ways to, to be a better advocate for these principles or their thought processes as if they're listening to a podcast like this or, or Mark Ritson's, one of Mark Ritson's classes or books or, or even mm -hmm. yours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think you make a really good point there, which is that a lot of what's taught is, is fairly tactical and not particularly strategic. And we don't really get a lot of yeah, there's, there's not a lot of focus on how to make people better strategic thinkers. And I guess what I, you know, the way that I think about strategic versus tactical is strategic tends to be bigger picture, longer term, um, you know, really understanding the strategy of a whole business and how marketing and, and or advertising kind of dovetail in and are going to support that overarching strategy. So any business kind of in their board level or their, you know, C-suite level will have a strategy, right? They, they're kind of like their strategy to grow is to do these things, you know, whether it's going after this particular market or whether it's, you know, launching this new set of products or where, you know, whatever it is, they're going to have some sort of strategy that says we, we want to get from here to here in the next X years. 
and here's our plan for how we're going to do it. So thinking about first from, from that direction, sort of, sort of going, well, okay, if we understand what the business strategy is, then how should marketing support that, right? What are the important things for marketing to do? And then sort of work downwards from there until you get to the sort of the tactics of, right, what's this campaign of the day and what's its message and who is it talking to and, you know, who's targeting and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think being able to get into the practice of contextualizing your short-term tactical thinking within that bigger, longer-term, more overall strategy is really important. And anyone can do that. It's not that you have to have any influence over that um, bigger, longer-term strategy. You just need to ask the question, like, what is that? And then start to think, well, if that's the strategy, how is what I'm doing today going to ladder up to that or support that in some way? Um, and, and I think when, you know, that makes life easier for you as, uh, um, as a strategy person, uh, because you're kind of going with the flow of the business and, and, and sort of being useful to the business in terms of actually helping them achieve their objectives rather than sort of being so caught up in the tactics that perhaps you lose sight of that overall objective or strategy or vision for the business and what you're doing tactically might sound amazing in isolation, but actually it's working at odds with the way that the business wants to actually go, or it's not helping them on the mission that they're on. And so that's when, you know, we get in those frustrating sort of fights, trying to sell a piece of thinking and, and we just can't get it through, you know, and, and unfortunately it's not because it's not a good bit of thinking. It's just that it's not the right bit of thinking for where the business is going and what the business is trying to do. So, so yeah, I think that that's, that's would be my encouragement for marketers and advertising people would be just, just try and sort of zoom back up to that top level as often as you can and understand how what you're doing now is contributing to that. Um, and, and if it's not probably change what you're doing or, you know, put your tools down and start doing something else. <laughs> it's interesting. And I guess my follow-up, uh, to that is, you know, you mentioned, and I've heard you speak before about how you have a lot of brands, uh, and businesses and agencies doing work, um, trying to win an award and effectiveness say and and some do and some do really well and there's great creative that's that's linked to that um but that there isn't consistent groups doing it time and time again um with these different problems and do you think that's because there is a lack of uh you know sight to the the core problem for the business while the planning and, and creative is being made is it kind of like you said within the team sport one piece of it falls off or, or how do you think that kind of equates to, to that idea? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, you, you're, you're totally right. So we see, um, in the, in the effectiveness awards data, um, if we look at like the last 10 years, for example, you'd see just about every brand that you could think of, um, represented in that data. So, you know, pretty much every brand in the world has done something at some point that's, that's worthy, you know, effective enough to be given an effectiveness award. But we see very few cases of brands, which do it again and again and again over, you know, every year, you know, year in, year out, they're winning, uh, they're winning effectiveness awards for the work that they're doing. And so there's, there's sort of some examples of that, like Snickers have done that, IBM have done that, uh, John Lewis have done that, you know, there's a few shining examples of 
um, brands that have managed to be really consistently effective over a much longer period than just sort of a year. And so I think those are the, those are the examples that I personally hold up as kind of the, you know, the, the, the ultimate achievement doing something which actually lasts over a much longer term and it's, and it's, it's impact for the business actually compounds over time. It's more and more impactful and effective over time. Um, and I love that because ultimately the ROI, and we always think of ROI in quite short term ways. Like we ran this ad, what did we get back in sales? But if you study ROI in a much longer term, like what did we spend completely on marketing and advertising over three years? And what did that deliver us back? You know, often you see the, that those short term ROIs um, are not indicative of the long-term ROI. So we've done something that's been very kind of, you know, successful on a short-term ROI basis. Actually, if you look at the business over three years, it didn't really go anywhere. Um, whereas those campaigns and that sort of thinking that can set a business up on a trajectory to deliver the best long-term ROI is, is you know, that's, the, that's what we should be really trying to achieve. So in effectiveness awards, sometimes we see those you know, if the FEs have a category called sustained success, um, and, uh, and most of the, most of the effectiveness awards programs have a similar category that rewards longer term thinking. Um, but a lot of what we see is still pretty short term and that's okay too. I mean, we need to kind of study what works in the short term as well, but it needs to be a, a kind of a balance. Um, so when you apply that to kind of the way the industry is built up, you have your, your agencies of record, you have your, your project agencies, and then you have in-house groups doing it a lot of themselves. Do you think that, you know, knowing that the goal is to have your, your long-term progress with your short hits, get, you know, harvesting current demand while, while building, um, future demand at the same time, that that kind of stacks the cards against the the agency world where there's a lot of fighting over scraps for specific projects like a one Super Bowl ad, which is long-term thinking or a performance agency that's going for the short. Um, yeah. Do you think it yeah. stacks the cards against them? Um, or just the system as a whole, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting question. I was just thinking your comment about Super Bowl uh, was was a really interesting one because the part of long termism is duration. Um, and so, if you run a big, you know, a big Super Bowl brand ad, um, which by the way is a great thing to do, but um, but if you just run it that once, you know, for it to deliver a long term return, it's got to be so. Oh, so extraordinary. So the 1984 commercial for Apple was one that managed to sort of run once. And so many people were affected and impacted by that. But, but if you look at the other 99.999% of Super Bowl commercials, they're not, you know, they're not Apple's 1984. Um, and it's better actually to view the Super Bowl ad in the context of a, of a longer term. Like if you look at Snickers and the Betty White spot, that was like such a kind of breakout success in the Super Bowl. You know, and then how they took that and they kept going with that same idea for a very long time. That's the way to use it. A brand that sort of pops up at the Super Bowl, does one thing and then disappears again and never kind of doesn't let that, doesn't keep running that idea. Um, that's kind of, they might have created an asset that um, is, um, you know, has been created or is right for long-term brand building, but they've used it in a completely short-term way, which totally negates the effects of, 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 of that piece of work. But anyway, back to your question about, um, about does, uh, yeah, the sort of structure of the industry. I think what we're seeing, I mean, 
There's certainly what we've seen over the last kind of 15 years or so is this proliferation of agencies and, and rosters getting sort of bigger and bigger. And, and, um, and, and in one sense, that's wonderful because we allow a whole lot of new people and new businesses into the industry with specializations and sort of new kind of media or, or new marketing possibilities that, you know, we're now surrounded by. And of course, in the olden days, when we just had lights and TV and some press and some radio, it was very easy for one agency to really be good at all of that. And now it's very hard for an agency to be very good at that and also really excellent at TikTok and really excellent at, you know, sponsorship and really excellent at all of these different things. So it's, it's natural that we should um, want to work with specialists in those areas. But what it also means is we tend to carve our budgets up into a million different tiny increments and spend them all on you know, a million different tiny, tiny campaigns and specific media, um, which is very kind of, you know, that's, that's, that's really absolutely the wrong thing to be doing. And so it's a, it's a real kind of, it's tough for a client because you've got to be the conductor of a very large orchestra who sometimes don't want to work with each other, um, or sometimes, you know, are fighting for their revenue because they've got to put food on the table for their people. And so I think it, it does. It gets, it's, it's challenging to conduct a big orchestra really, really well and have them all deliver on the same idea in the same kind of way. And so we, so we generate these big cross media, long duration plays for a brand. It's, it's, it's difficult to make that work. Um, but it's, it's sort of essential to, and that I guess is kind of the, you know, the, the, the art of being a great client nowadays. Yeah, it's, that's super interesting because it, it definitely puts a lot more of the, the pressure on the shoulder of, of the brand managers at, at the in-house or, at, uh, you know, at the actual company. Um, but then at the same time, the, the different agencies that are executing on the different pieces of that one, a lot of times have to work together um, or, you know, fall in line to their one specific piece of, of the puzzle. Um, but definitely makes it a clearer path when, when you look at it that way from, from the view of how an agency or even an entry level person within that agency, be a better partner to that system, um, or brand manager in that kind of role. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm of the belief that you need to have one partner who is your kind of strategic lead, uh, and then you need to have a bunch of others that are tactical and executional. And that's sometimes tough because, you know, a lot of, a lot of shops want to, they don't want to just be tactical and executing stuff. They want to be the people who are leading the strategy and leading the kind of the ideas. Mm. And, um, but I think ultimately it's, it's always very hard if you've got sort of three or four different agencies that all want to be the strategic lead or want to contribute in that way. Um, it's always going to be very difficult to to kind of manage that in any constructive way. So I think it's, it is quite important as a brand manager to say, this is the strategic lead. They're going to crack the big idea. And then we're going to need all of you others to kind of take that and execute really faithfully on it. And if you don't want to do that, that's completely understandable. If you want to be a strategic shop and you want to be doing that job, that's fine. Um, and, and, and fair play to you, but it's not going to be with us. Um, and, and I think you've got to be like super duper clear about that and get a group of people together that, that sort of know who's, who's kind of, who's leading strategically and, and, and who's following. I think it's pretty, pretty critical, even though it's a bit painful for the agency that's not in the strategic lead. So if I'm a planner or an aspiring planner and I'm kind of looking at 
well, oftentimes seems to be a mess with, with all these different relationships and, and interconnected um, pieces. How do I make sense of it and, and get an idea of, of where I would want to go if I have one agency that might be just, you know, performance, Google search, and they have their idea of strategy. And then you have your high level above the line strategy um, agency that's assisting the brand manager. And then you have paid for or production on the other side. It gets pretty convoluted quickly. Um, you know, do you have a way of, of breaking that down to, to simplify it for someone looking at this mess from the outside? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're working on, um, at, at the tactical end of things, the role of strategy is, it, it tends to be much more about saying, well, here's the, here's the client brand and, and sort of what they're trying to do, you know, from an overall perspective. And how do we just understand the, basically the, the, the possibilities of what it, whatever our tactical area is, like say it's Google search, right? It's just sort of understanding that in a way that you can join things up and say, well, for your kind of brand and idea and the sort of stuff that you're doing, you know, these, these are the sort of the, the most powerful things you could do with Google search, sort of thinking in that context, as opposed to. Yeah, where it gets frustrating is you kind of for for some people, not all not all planners, but for some planners, they they want to go. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to just talk about Google search. I want to talk about what the big idea for the brand is, and it's 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 really challenging to do that from um, from quite a tactical place, um, and it can often be disruptive and annoying and and not and unwelcome. <laughs> um, so, I think it's like. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I was lucky because I sort of started at the big agency end of things. And so I didn't really have to go through, I guess, that journey that, that I'm guessing lots of um, strategy people go through nowadays, which is starting out at maybe more of a tactical place and, and sort of gradually over their career, moving more into the center. Um, or perhaps there are others that go completely the other direction. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, because I started in that, um, you know, really thinking at that high level about the, the, what was at the heart of the brand before getting into any of the sort of tactics, I guess I come at it from that position and that's what, that's what I love. But if you want to be doing that, um, it's important to go to an agency that has that sort of relationship with its clients where it is the sort of, you know, the strategic lead, um, or a, you know, or a, I guess a smaller agency with smaller clients that also has that same relationship. So you are really leading kind of the strategy with them. Or if you're interested in technical stuff and there's no, there's nothing wrong about that either, you know, go and find a, you know, the, the tactical area that interests you the most and jump in and start being useful. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I, I definitely would want to jump into as well, regardless if you're at the tactical shop or the above, you know, below the line, or if you're at the, uh, above the line brand thinking side, you still have to have that mind for creativity and, and looking at how this could inspire really creative execution to, to make it effective in the first place, whether you're at, um, on one, one section of, of, uh, this monster or, uh, leading the entire orchestra. Um, I notice a lot of people in the strategy world find their, their creative partner or, or someone to work with where you're, 
like-minded, maybe one's more left, one's the other right, um, working together to kind of solve that problem. Uh, do you have anyone like that in, in your career as you were um, making your way through as a planner? And, and if so, what, how did that help you? And, and how can finding you know, a creative partner as a planner um, or as a creative find a planner as a partner um, kind of enhance yeah. you know, your view of things and, and ability to, to create compelling and effective work? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's really important for, from sort of both directions. It's, it, it's really useful for, um, for creatives to have a planning, a strategy person that they can really, can really sort of trust, um, to be useful. Um, and from a planning point of view, it's like, if you can't, if if you don't have the relationship with creative people where they want to take your your thinking, they really believe in it and they trust it and they want to go and execute on it, then often you know you get into a frustrating place where you're doing a bunch of strategy work, which is effectively sort of ignored by the creative people, <laughs> and they go off and do their their sort of their own thing because they're you know they're not sure you're right or they don't trust you or they don't think you're on their side or or kind of whatever. So. Yeah. And, and, and I think for me, it was about, I, I think I, an observation I made really quite early on is that when, when you're a strategy person, you're either really good and useful or you're just in the way. Um, a, a, a lot of advertising, you know, all advertising and marketing can be made without planners. Um, but it's really hard to make advertising without creative people. Right. Um, and so. I think you've got to come at it from a kind of point of humility to say, well, it's my, I'm sort of the less necessary person in this partnership. And it's important for me to, to kind of prove my worst by, by really working to be as useful as possible, um, to, you know, whether it's a whole creative department or whether it's one person that you're sort of focusing on, I think it's really important from a strategy perspective to to come, come at it with that humility and realize that you're not, you're not necessary. So it's your job to make, make yourself necessary by being so useful and interesting and inspiring that people want to have you around. Um, then in terms of actual kind of personal relationships, I think, you know, it's, it's human to have, you know, we, we all interact with others in sort of different ways, right? You've got people that you just kind of click with and you see the world the same way as they do. And you, your, your thinking just naturally bounces off one another. And then you've got other people that it's just really hard work to even like hold a conversation for more than two minutes with them. And, and, and that's, and that's natural. And we kind of all have that. Right. And, um, and so in terms of finding those partnerships, like for me, there's, there've been a few over the years, but the, um, but the sort of the, the longest and most fruitful partnership was with the um, creator called Nick Worthington, who um, was the, he was at Mojo when, when I was there uh, right at the start. And then when I was at Colenso, he was the, uh, the chief creative officer of Colenso and, and is just an absolutely brilliant um, creative person, you know, just one of the absolute best in the world. Um, and, and it's just, it's sort of delight to work with, um, but he was one of those people that I think, you know, the things that I said and the way that I thought and the things I brought to the table made sense to him. And he found them very easy to sort of leak from. Um, 
and and I found his thinking, you know, I think, you know, he 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 would probably say that I'm as a strategic person who thinks quite creatively, and he's a creative person that thinks very strategically, and so so I think there was just a you know it was a really nice fit, and it's wonderful when you have those relationships. I mean, as a planner, again, like it's it's very hard to have a mega successful career if you're not working with creative people that are taking your thinking and making it brilliant, um, and so you know, the vast majority of the effectiveness awards that I've won, you know, there, there's no way I would have won them had I not worked with brilliant creative people that had executed a campaign that was just, you know, absolutely amazing. And so, yeah, finding those people that you do work really well with, um, who are capable of doing brilliant things creatively and nurturing that relationship. And again, going back to like, just remembering, like, it's your job to be useful. They don't need you there. (laughs) If you're not useful, you know, it's way easier for them to do it just by themselves. Yeah. And one thing that we do at my agency, I think to foster that relationship is, is bring creative into the strategic meetings and, and the brief writing sessions and, and get their buy-in before. So you're not delivering the, yeah. this alien document that kind of outlines what you have to do. Cause like you said, the, the reception is not going to be well, or if there's one at all. It's, it'll probably yeah. just get left left on the desk, but can totally see how you know having a strong relationship with uh, strategically minded creative can just only make that process easier. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, briefs are kind of they're they're necessary and and um, and and yeah, d- difficult things. And in, in my experience, again, being I, I was a creative for a couple of years, um, and. And so I was sort of, I mean, it was kind of an interesting thing. Me and my friend, Josh, we, um, we were at a Christmas party and he was starting a job at a new agency as their, I think he was starting as their head of art and their creative department. And, and he was looking for a copywriter and, um, and then we got talking and he was like, maybe it would be interesting if we put a planner and a creative together and like a team. Um, and, uh, and and would that be interesting? And so we both thought that was interesting. So we sold it to the agency and I went and joined them there. And to be honest, I sort of stopped being a planner really and started just being a copywriter that um, that sort of thought strategically about stuff. But it was awesome getting to spend sort of, I don't know, maybe it was 18 months or two years, something like that as a creative. And just understand A, how hard it is to be a creative. It's really difficult when people expect you to have brilliant ideas, you know, perfectly on the money um, every day, you know, with limited time and budget and you know, you, you, that's just expected of you all the time. That's, it's quite hard. Um, and the stress is a very different type of stress to the stress you have as a strategy person or as an account management person. Um, and, and also it taught me about where ideas, like how ideas happen. And we'd sit in, um, in our, in our office and, you know, a suit or a planner would bring a brief in and they'd read through the briefs to us and, um, you know, go through it all and, and then they'd say, "Is that clear?" And we'd say, "Not really." Um, and then we'd sort of keep um, keep talking about it. And I just remember lots of times we would be sitting there and we'd just be talking, you know, to the account manager or, or whoever it was, and you know, we'd be just talking away around the brief, around the kind of problem, around the client's brand, around the consumer, what they're up to, blah blah blah. blah. And then at some point, someone would just say something just off the cuff, like it was just a turn of phrase or just some, some snippet of that conversation and Josh or I would go, that's it. There's an amazing idea in that. Um, and now the thing about that is there's no way of knowing where that will come from. 
And there's no way you can, without going through that process, you're ever going to know better if you're like the best planner in the entire world, best free ride, there's no way you're going to always be able to put that down on the proposition box. But that's just impossible. <laughs> um, it's got to be a conversation, right? Um, and you've got to create as many opportunities as possible for that little moment to happen. Um, and so you're totally right about kind of starting early and whether that, whether that's taking them into strategic sessions, meetings, workshops or whatever, which is a really good, I, I love doing that. Sometimes it's not, sometimes people don't have all the time in the world to do that. Um, or whether it's just about sort of bringing them into the brief writing process. I mean, what I used to do at Calenzo was I'd just start talking to the creatives, like right when I started doing my thinking. You know, not in any formal way. I'd just go up to them and be like, hey, I'm working on this and I'm kind of thinking this. What do you think? And they'd be like, ah, maybe this and da da da. And we'd just go back and forth. And so that would happen for a few weeks. Then I'd show up with the brief and I'd be like, hey, you know, all those conversations we've been having, like this is just the document that kind of gets all that down. But like we kind of, half the time we would have already got to an idea by then. <laughs> and so I'd be, I'd be almost writing the brief just as a formality um, so that the client would be able to buy the idea that we'd kind of already come up with. Um, which by the way, is not post-rationalization It's actually kind of just having a, a, a process that's more embracing of creatives earlier on. And you often find out that ideas just, you know, some of the best ideas in the world just come out of that, that process. And so, yeah, that's, that would be my encouragement to any planner is just how do you, how do you talk more through your process, um, and invite the sort of feedback of creative people, invite their guidance early on and really look for, develop a really keen sense for what are the types of things that creatives find useful and interesting um, and what the things they don't. Um, because again, you know, your job is to make yourself useful. Yeah, I, I love that. And we, we kind of talked too about how, you know, below the line, how a strategist can make themselves useful and the tools that you have there, transferring up to above the line and looking a, more, a little bit more higher level and at all of different pieces and how they're working together. For you, you you graduated outside of that and more into entrepreneurship, launching your own um, uh, agency or, or innovation studio previously unavailable, even now Ice House Ventures and, and looking at different brands like like Tracksuit, AF Drinks or Storytech, all these different um, brands and businesses that you've kind of jumped into. I'd, I'd love to hear, because for many people, I feel like the goal is to get into marketing and advertising, and that's awesome. Kind of like if being a tactically minded strategist is, is your goal, go do it and do it all the way. Um, for you, you needed something outside of that. And, and I'd love to hear mm. how, you know, the skills and, and strategic thinking skills and tools that you kind of built over your time within this industry pushed you outside of it into, you know, greener pastures in, in your world. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean... Yeah, greener pastures. I, I'm not one of those people that left advertising sort of fed up with it or, or sort of cynical about it. Um, and I think a lot of advertising people do leave advertising like feeling a bit like cynical about it. Um, I'm not one of those people. So I had just the best time in advertising. It was awesome. I had like just such a great, it was such a great experience. The people were amazing. The things I got to do were amazing. I just loved the industry to bits. Um, and so it wasn't so much going on to greener pastures, but it was certainly, it was certainly me thinking, what are the things that I love the most about advertising and how can I apply those in a way that from perhaps my age and stage and the things that I'm interested in, um, can, uh, you know, be brought to bear on 
companies that are, you know, more innovative. So I've always, I've always loved innovative companies, be they startups or large companies when they're innovating. Um, and how do we bring the same sorts of sort of creative and strategic thinking we practice in advertising, but how do we bring them to that innovation process, right? Whether that's the creation of a new product or the creation of a, of a whole new brand, whether it's helping a startup kind of, you know, create their, their whole product and experience and brand and operations and everything, you know, how do we just bring that, that kind of creative strategic thinking to that world? And, um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I didn't, I mean, there were, there were no companies doing that in my part of the world. So I kind of just decided I was running YNR in New Zealand at the time. And I, I just decided to kind of leap off and, and start it and try and build this thing that I didn't really know what I was trying to build. I just knew that I wanted to continue to have fun, but in a, in a sort of slightly different way. And, um, and it started very much as an experiment and it still very much is an experiment, um, in understanding how to apply create creativity in, in really interesting, really progressive ways. And so you mentioned before Ice House Ventures, we have a partnership with them. We've launched, um, our first venture capital fund, which, um, is a fund that we've, we've raised like a normal VC, um, would, um, but it's been deployed in a way that's, um, a little bit different to how a VC usually deploys funding. So VCs normally look at companies on the basis of, you know, what's their kind of, um, you know, what does the team look like? What does their product idea look like? What does the addressable market look like? What's the scale opportunity, all that kind of stuff, but they don't tend to look at, you know, how, how, how good is this as a brand? How marketable is this? How kind of, you know, is this the kind of idea that's, you know, um, capable of appealing on an, in, um, on a sort of intangible, irrational basis, which we know in marketing is kind of the most powerful basis of all to appeal on. And so, so we kind of bring that lens to it. And so we're looking to sort of, you know, go in with significant money into companies and be able to deploy that money to companies that we believe, you know, a really creative approach to brand can be the difference between them becoming, uh, you know, a good company and a great company, um, and be able to work with them on helping them be a bit more you know, a bit more creative with what they do. So it's kind of a combination of creativity and venture capital, which, um, which is, it's, which I'm sort of loving as an experiment. Um, so yeah, we're getting to just do lots of things that I think are kind of exploring creativity in slightly different ways. Um, and yeah, it's really good fun and it will continue to be an experiment and quite hard to define as a company. All we, all we kind of know is we're called previously unavailable because we love things that didn't exist before. Um, and so it's just all about the new and kind of like, yeah, trying to go to new places and do new things as often as possible. I love it. That's so exciting. It's, it's a cool thing that, that you guys are doing. And it's also awesome to see on the site, like right away that you're like, yeah, we don't really know what to call this thing is that we're doing. Cause it's always changing and there's all these, uh, you know, different aspects to it. Um, we, we've outlined and, and kind of untangled the mess, that strategy, the, the different levels of it and different ways people looking into the world can, can view this. Um, and there are all these principles out there. We've talked about future demand and, and current demand. Um, we have all the evidence behind a lot of these principles, whether they're from you, Ehrenberg Bass, the B2B Institute, Byron Sharp, Peter Field, and, and Les Binette. Um, and 
it's starting to take a stronger hold, obviously, but um, that doesn't necessarily mean because we have all this evidence that, that people are going to change the way that, that they're doing things. Um, how do you see that going? And, and how does uh, you building a, a master of advertising effectiveness program and, and directing that kind of help shape the minds of, of folks who are going to be in those positions to hopefully buy in and, and make change? Yeah, cool. Well, what I mean, one thing, you know, what's been amazing about, about the past 15 years in particular is we now have a really, really solid understanding of how advertising works and how to make it work better. Um, whereas before, you know, when I started in my career, we really didn't, I mean, there were lots of people that had reckons about how advertising worked, but they had sort of opinions based on their own experience. And some of them were right, by the way. Um, and that's now been proven out by the data. Um, but, uh, but it was really a lot of conjecture and a lot of personal experience. And now since we've had, you know, these massive pools of data at the IPA, they've got their huge data set at the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, they work and they, they sort of collect up data from around the marketing world and work with lots of it in a really meaningful way. Um, we, you know, I tend to work most closely with Walk and Cam Lyons and, and we too have, you know, extraordinary amounts of data to sort of look at and and analyze and and so what we've managed to do with that is is really figure out the principles on which effective advertising and marketing um stat and um and that's a real gift um when you put all of that together you know it's all complementary it doesn't argue with 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 each other it's all all of the principles sort of support one another and so we've got sort of robust replicable science if you like um in uh in this field um and so we're now at a point where it's, n it's never been easier to actually, um, to actually understand effectiveness and to do the things that lead to really effective work. Um, we have kind of, you know, we have cracked the code of that. And so what the reason I started the master's program was really just that I, you know, realize that we're at this great place no one's kind of collecting it all together so it all lives in sort of separate places you can go and buy an ipa paper over here and go and buy um you know jenny romaniuk's book over here and you know all that kind of stuff but then actually i wanted to bring it all together so that any any person really who was working in advertising and marketing could learn all of it in one place and in a way that is simple and easy to grasp and easy to then go off and execute rather than some of it's a little bit academic when it first hits the world. And so, so my program is, uh, is a lot more about, you know, how do we in a really enjoyable kind of inspiring way, teach people all of this stuff in a way that they can just go off and, and apply it and, uh, you know, to the brands that they're working on and more or less immediately and hopefully start seeing results from, from doing that. Wow, it's, it's incredible your work across previously unavailable uh, with work and, and can lion. We're always going to be watching and uh, I wish you the, the best of luck with uh, the masters of effectiveness program. And it's, it's a pleasure to have you on and um, yeah, this, this is great. Cool. Hey, thanks for having me Cooper. It's been great to chat.